You know, um, my, my wife, my daughter, and I are called resident aliens. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's, um, every time I, I get to travel quite a bit for my job, um, I'm actually going to be celebrating my 25th year at HP next week. Hewlett Packard. So, <laughs> thank you. Um, and I, I get to travel quite a bit, and uh, I always enjoy coming back and coming through immigration. Uh, I, I tend to get into a little bit of a dialogue with the immigration officer. Um, I always look forward to them saying one phrase to me. It's when they say, welcome home. Did you like that when they say that to you? I always enjoy that. And there was one time I had one, and he didn't say it to me. And I called him out. I said, you didn't say welcome home. And uh, he actually then said, well, I'm going to make sure I do that going forward. Now, our son, Reese, was born here. So he's our ticket to stay. (laughs) And, you know, um, as we already talked about how ironic it is that it's the a British, the British who welcomed you on the 4th of July, and a, a British guy who's going to talk to you on the 4th of July. I, I don't like the word sermon, I'll be honest with you, I'm going to talk to you. So. Um, but you, you, you do get your own back, because I can't vote. So I have taxation without representation. <laughs> Um, Our topic for today, uh, Sanctuary Life, Jesus at the Center of All. I I wonder what images come to your mind when we think of a sanctuary. Um, The definition of a sanctuary is a place of refuge or safety. The other definition of a sanctuary is a nature reserve. I will let you guess which one we're going to talk about this morning. Um, It was June 1995, 20 years ago last month, and uh, my wife, Norma, uh, Rebecca, our daughter, and myself, we were at Heathrow Airport. Uh, there was no Reese. Reese was a, a glint in our eye, a future hope. And we were, we were there with my brother at Heathrow Airport. It was a typical British day, but it was a momentous day for our family. Um, we were we were emigrating or immigrating into the United States. Uh, we were going to be boarding our Mayflower, which was Virgin Atlantic, <laughs> care of Richard Branson. And um, what was really nice, um, back then, those were the heady days of Silicon Valley. Uh, HP, Hewlett-Packard sent us a premier economy, but we got upgraded to first class, which is very unusual because we had a two-year-old child And normally when when you have a two-year-old child, back of the bus. So, but we were upgraded. Uh, What I always remember about that time is my brother started crying. I mean, this had been a culmination of a few months. We'd had an ocean container come to our house. We lived in Bristol, England at the time. They had packed everything, and that eventually landed in the port of Oakland. Many weeks later, I didn't even know at that time there was a port in Oakland. I just knew about San Francisco. But um, at the airport there, my brother, he started crying and uh, with us going. You know, I, I was a little bit embarrassed. It's typical British. 
We can be a bit reserved. I love people who put their hands up for worship. You know, I will do that one day, face to face. I can be a bit reserved. It's just who I am. Um, but my, my brother, and he's, he's like me, he's probably more stiff upper lip than even I am. Emotionally deficit there, you know. Um, but he's, he started crying, and uh, I was a little bit embarrassed. I think Norma was, was quite taken by it. And, um, you know, what, what I realized in reflection is that for those of us who are leaving on a new adventure, um, it, it's difficult to cry sometimes. But for those who are left behind, who are saying goodbye, that, that can be more emotional. I, I went through a little bit about that when we sent our, our daughter off to college. It was only down to PUC, you know. But um, sometimes those who are left behind, it can be a little bit more emotional. So we, 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 we took off and we, we eventually landed in San Francisco. Um, I've always enjoyed... Uh, landing in San Francisco, if you come in at just right and if there's no marine layer, it's a beautiful, a beautiful way to come in. I mean, there's nothing more. It's one of, I've, I've flown into many airports around the world, and I think San Francisco is right up there um, amongst the best. And we, we landed full of excitement, and we... Uh, I, I couldn't remember our first July 4th. I had to ask Norma. I said, so what happened our first July 4th? And apparently... We went to some Hawaiian theme party and, you know, they, they all had these strange shirts on. That's all I can say. But now I've even got some of those strange shirts. So. Okay, Sam, nothing happened. Ah, oh, there we go. So, from the British, I can say, happy birthday, America. Now, I, I do have to call Deborah out, and I did this before. That the cover of the bulletin, let my people go. <laughs> you got to, you got to see that from a British point of view. <laughs> it was very pretty. This is, that is one I've got to tell our family when we come phone home. So now you, you actually have part of your answer on your bulletin, and I didn't realise this at the time. How old are you today? So we know. July the 4th, 1776, which, by the way, was a leap year. Did you know that? (laughs) You are 239 years old today. So congratulations with that. Wiki states, Independence Day, commonly known as the 4th of July or July 4th, is a federal holiday in the United States commemorating the adoption of the Declaration of Independence of July 4th, 1776, declaring independence... From Great Britain. We know this day has inspired so many different things. I mean, we've had movies named after this day. There's songs. Uh, there's so many famous quotes. Um, it, it truly is a, a memorable day. And I must admit, over the years, we've really enjoyed our July 4th here. So let's have a little test. Okay. Why... Red, white, and blue on the American flag. Let's start with the easy one. Why white? Very good. Okay, very good. All right, let's go to the next one. Red. 
Well, sort of. And again, I'm, I'm getting this from Wiki, so you can decide how, how valid a source that is. It said valor or hardiness. It's the same, same sort of thing. And then finally, what about blue? Vigilance, perseverance, and justice. Now, I'm just going to say one thing in passing and hope you won't, you won't kick me out of here. What color is the British flag? What does white stand for? Purity. What does red stand for? No. <laughs> Plagiarism. No, no. <laughs> you know, I, I'll be honest. I don't know what the colors... Well, I don't, I'm sure there was an original reason for the colors, but I can tell you my interpretation of the colors... Red is for Wales, which is where we're from. You know, Great Britain is composed of Wales, England, and Scotland. The United Kingdom adds Northern Ireland. That was a question on Jeopardy one time, by the way. Um, So the red is for Wales, the white is for England, and the blue is for... Correct, Scotland. And um, we don't... This might shock you. We don't have... July the 4th is not a holiday in the UK. I I hope that isn't a surprise to you. Um, We we don't have any equivalent day. The only thing I could think about was the Queen's birthday, which, by the way, I don't know when the Queen's birthday is. And she actually has two birthdays. She has her birthday, which I don't know when it is, and she has an official birthday, and I don't know when that is either. Now, I have to say that... um, with Scotland, we might very well soon have a little bit day of independence. If you, if you keep up on UK politics, Scotland is very much heading towards... They had a vote, and they, the majority of the population still wanted to be part of, the, um, of Britain. But then, in the last elections, the Scots went and elected all members of Parliament, we call it there, who support, basically, um, Scotland being independent. So it's, it's in the balance right now. So, we came to the U.S. um, 20 years ago. This has become our home. It's become our sanctuary, our house. So let me ask you a question. When you think about God's house, God's home, his sanctuary, what images come to your mind? I'd like to go through a few things. Uh, they're not exhaustive. I'm sure there are other things, but a few few images that came into my mind when we thought about this. The first one. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were brought with a price. So glorify God in your body. A temple is a sacred place. How special it is. I don't know how special you feel. I know all of us go through times when we can feel special. Sometimes we cannot feel that special to anyone. But how special it is that God chooses to say his house and his home dwelling in us through his Holy Spirit if we will let him. It's a mystery that God chooses to dwell in us. God is not some impersonal force. The Bible tells us that with the Holy Spirit, 
but he comforts us, he counsels us, and he can be grieved. Our God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. Yet, in a very special way, God chooses, if we allow him to, to dwell in each one of us. And that is amazing. Truly amazing. You think about that. The almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, chooses to make his home in each one of us if we allow him. And that is critical, if we allow him. What other images come to your mind as we think about God's house, God's home? Here's another one. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. You see, it starts with God dwelling in each one of us through his Holy Spirit, and that truly is freedom when we have the Holy Spirit in us. It's a journey, but it's freedom. It starts with each individually, but that is never alone. Because then the Bible says that where two or more are gathered together in his name, he will be in the midst of us. That There's a theme coming out here that I'm really hoping you're all going to get. The theme is, how is God defining his house? How is God defining his home? He defines it in terms of a relationship with us, dwelling with us. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Um, the actual, the, the Greek word um, in the middle, miso, means middle, midst, among. So God dwells in us through the Holy Spirit, or God dwells among us. That's the theme here. And when it talks about gathered in my name, we often interpret that to mean gatherings like this, or when we have a prayer meeting. But when we think of the Lord's Prayer, in my name, and what in my name means, it's for God there is no difference between his name and who he is. That's why God's name, Yahweh, I am what I am, or I will be what I will be. There's no difference there. And when he he says he dwells in us and in his name, it's then reflecting his name in our life as well. So for us, it's a life oriented to Christ and towards him and honoring him in, in our lives as well. So what other images come to your mind as we think about God's house, God's home, and his sanctuary? I think this is a pretty well-known passage, especially um, to, to those of you who have grown up Adventists. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furnitures, so you shall make it. We find this in Exodus, and this is talking about the Mosaic tabernacle, the one shown to Moses. A few years ago, we had one outside here. I don't know if you remember that. We had a replica out there, and we even had Sabbath service on it as well. This is the first recorded erected church in the Bible, and it's based off a pattern that God gave. Um, It was built by human hands, and the key point here is that, again, we read, that I may dwell in their midst. Once again, this theme coming out. Dwell in us 
through the Holy Spirit. Dwell among us where two or more gather together. Again, dwell with us in terms of the, uh, the tabernacle. But the way this was set up is that the tabernacle was as when Israel was going through its wanderings in the desert, the tabernacle was set up, it was right in the center of the camp. You had all the tribes around it, and right in the center there was the tabernacle. This is God just saying, I want to be in the midst of your life. I want to dwell with you, I want to walk with you, I want to be in your life. So we have that. The Bible teaches that God is very near. He wants to dwell with us. What about one more image of God's house and God's home? What about the Garden of Eden? What about Eden? And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Find out in Genesis. It's here called the Garden of Eden. It's here called a garden. And really, you could consider this the first sanctuary here on earth. It wasn't erected by human hands. God made this sanctuary. Man had a role. He got to name the animals. That was his role. But God is the one who made this sanctuary. And it says that the Lord God was walking in the cool of the day. Walking here represents fellowship. Intimate fellowship. We, we, we see in the Old Testament time and time again, we have this phrase, and they walked with God. We, we hear it about Enoch. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more because God took him. And this is what it's representing here. Walking with God. That time of intimate fellowship, especially before the fall. You know, we, we, we read in in um, Mrs. White's writings uh, around the fact that how, how basically um, our first human parents, they had many times of fellowship with the Lord uh, before the fall. And then, of course, we had the fall come in. And this verse is said in that context after the fall. And, you know, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid So what was once a time of joy and fellowship, now they were hiding. And that is the natural reaction when we fall. Um, Or even as believers, when we're struggling with something, it is so easy for us to try and put God on the shelf. And God will come after us every time. He takes the initiative. And that's what's happening here. God is the one doing the walking. And who is he walking towards? He's walking towards us. God runs to the fire. Often when when we're going through things in our life, and when it sometimes can be hard to see God working in our lives, or or what what exactly is going on, there can be confusion. Some of that can be self-inflicted. Some of it can be through no fault of our own. God will run to the fire. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to be with us, even during those most difficult times. It's the Lord taking the initiative. He's the one who wants to be in the midst of whatever is going on in our lives. Let's, um, let's quickly go back to the one about the, um, the mosaic tabernacle or the sanctuary. And this is the last, 
point I wanted to make in terms of the, what is your image, what is your thinking about this, the, the house of God, God's house, God's home. And it says here in, in, in Hebrews, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Now, isn't that interesting? That there was a pattern shown to Moses. A pattern of what? Some kind of heavenly original tabernacle or sanctuary that was shown to Moses. We don't have time to go into this today, but this is good stuff. And I would really encourage you to look at some of this. If you read in Ezekiel 28 or if you look at Isaiah 14, those two passages are very related. They talk about the fall of Satan or the fall of Lucifer. And in there, we get a glimpse of this original tabernacle, the original heavenly sanctuary. Um, it's really, really good stuff. It's called the Mount of Congregation, the Mount of Assembly, the Mountain of the Gods. Once again, the theme here of God dwelling with us, wanting a relationship with us, comes out, even as we think of the original. So here is the point I want to I make. My first point. How do we define our house, our home, our sanctuary? Is that in terms of our job? Is that in terms of our physical home? Hopefully it's in terms of our family. Is it in terms of our bike ride that we do? Or our exercise routine? Is that how we define our home, our house, our place of sanctuary? How does God define his house, his home, and his sanctuary? First and foremost, it's in terms of a relationship with us. And that is very significant. If you, if you don't remember anything else I've said today, <laughs> um, I, I would love you to keep that. But God, the creator of everything, the Lord of the universe, the one who is omnipotent, all-powerful, the one who is omniscient, all-knowing, the one that is immutable, never changes, the one who is self-existent, self-sustaining. That God chooses of his own free will to define his house and his home in terms of a relationship with each one of us. So what does a sanctuary life mean? We already had this slide, but first and foremost, it's about our relationship with God. That's where it starts. It's about that vertical relationship, our relationship with God, our total dependence on him. It's not wrong for us to enjoy our cars, our houses, all these things that we are given. But these are temporary things. It's not wrong for us to have our, our little kingdoms, as it were, but they need to be in their right place. And first and foremost, 
It is for us to really be totally dependent upon the Lord and him. When we think about our home, our house and our sanctuary, I want to encourage all of us, first of all, to think about the Lord, to think about God. Because that will then give the context for everything else. But we must go on, we must go on from that. Because we have our total dependence upon God, the vertical relationship, but we must also talk about the interdependent relationship, the horizontal, our relationship with each other. That is also part of a sanctuary life, having Jesus at the center. It's our relationship with God, first and foremost, but it's also our relationship with one another. If you look at this scripture verse here found in Corinthians, it talks about one suffers, all suffer. One is honored, all rejoice. And the key word there is together. You can see it's really highlighted, together. Has to include both of these portions, our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. I think our relationship with one another can actually be one of the hardest ones. We are a church full of sinners. (laughs) If you're looking for a reason to get offended in church, you will find a reason, I can assure you. If you're looking for a reason not to be on this committee or that committee, you will find a reason, I assure you. In work, we have to work with all kinds of people. Some people we get on with really well, some people we don't get on with so well. But we can't just walk away from our job because we need the money. (laughs) In church, this is a volunteer organization. The, The technical term that they use is to freely associate. You can choose to associate, you can choose not to. But here's, here's my point. Shouldn't we be applying even higher standards to our relationships within the church as opposed to our work in life? I mean, this is for the kingdom. It's for the advancement of his gospel, the kingdom, people coming into the kingdom. Surely we need to try and see that bigger picture and maybe get through if we've got some difficult relationships, we've been offended, and I don't want to minimize things that can go on. But I think we need to try and look at the bigger picture as well. So, a sanctuary life. My first two points are, number one, it's about our total dependence on God. Putting that first. It's not wrong to have that other stuff, but we need to make that the primary, our dependence on God and having him dwell in us. And then my second key point, it's it's about our relationships with one another. Our relationship with God, our relationship with one another. And both of those are lifelong journeys. This is where you go, ah. (laughs) Thank you. This is our son and daughter. Reese is the one with not many teeth. He's not here today. I was really hoping he was going to be here. So. Oh, he is? Oh, he's hiding now. <laughs> oh, there he is. This, this was taken a few years ago. This year, 2015, has been a, is, 
turning out to be one of those very special years for our family. I wanted to show you this. I don't know if Doris is here. I don't know if she's here, is she? Um, we, um, in June, we, we celebrated over two successive weekends. We celebrated graduation. Uh, my son graduated from high school. Isn't it good how the sons always tower over the mothers? <laughs> the fact is, the sons tower over the fathers as well. And then um, Nathan, Nathan, who a lot of you here know, um, just been a, a lifelong friend for Reese. So that, that, was a, that was a great time. And then on the right there, or your right, I should say, that's my, uh, our daughter uh, receiving her nursing pin at a Pacific Union College. So she, she's, that was her associates, and she will finish her bachelor's um, around the February time frame. I, I'll tell you, I, I thought the British did ceremony well, but I think, you were, I think Americans, I knew you said you Americans then, but that didn't sound right. But I, I think, and I don't know whether it's just Adventist schools, but there is a way that we do graduation in the Adventist schools that is really good. Um, we enjoy, we, we've thoroughly enjoyed um, those two weekends. It start, started, especially on my son's one, it started on the Friday night. Um, and that's always an interesting time because the kids get up and they thank their parents. But you're always wondering what they're going to say, you know. Because, <laughs> you know, if, if, if ever you want a reality check and humility, go and talk to your, your, your wife or husband or talk to your kids and you'll get a reality check on how well you're doing. <laughs> they see you. They see everything. So, um, But, you know, Reese was very gracious. Um, he, uh, he gave some very nice words. And, but, so that was a very special time. Then on Sabbath, uh, Pastor Walt, we, we, we had the service up at the Auburn Church, and Pastor Walt came and spoke. And uh, Pastor Walt gave a, a really good sermon. He talked about the fact that a lot of young people, when they, they graduate, around 50% of them disappear from the church. And it wouldn't surprise me if that percentage is low. But um, what he did was he challenged the young people uh, to break that trend. And that there, was, there was only eight in Reese's graduating class, so it would have been four, four, but he challenged them to, to break that trend. i tell you what was so good about that day is that my son asked to be baptized. And we will celebrate that baptism this, this coming Friday. It's on the back of your bulletin in the announcements. You're all welcome. We, were, we have an issue with parking where we live, but we're going to work with the neighbors. We would love to have you all come up, and uh, we will celebrate that baptism. That was probably one of the biggest, the biggest things of the weekend. But I'll tell you, then, then on the Sunday is the commencement. The other two nights have these fancy terms you use. I can't even say them. The commencement, I can say... <laughs> Um, but, um, and, and that was tremendous. I, I went for two weekends in a row. I went into work on the Monday just on a high, you know. It was one of those, those high times to see your children um, reach, reach those achievements in life. So can you imagine the celebration that went on when Jesus ascended to heaven after completing his life here on earth, being obedient to the Lord, 
suffering, (laughs) horrendously suffering. I mean, if you look at Isaiah 52, if you look at Isaiah 53, I mean, there's some, some deep words there. Being raised from the dead, spending some time here then witnessing to people, and then he ascended um, into heaven. We don't, I mean, there are people that says it talks about some of that in Revelation in terms of that, the party that went on in heaven, but just can you imagine what that must have been like when Jesus ascended to this original that we read about? Um, and just, just the celebration that went on there. Let's read this, Hebrews 8, 1-2. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected, not man. Today, we live between advents. We had the first advent, and hopefully soon the second advent will come. We live between advents. Um, Jesus' life here, I mean, basically he, he wasn't recognized by the majority of the people he came from. The religious leaders of the time, they thought Jesus, Jesus did all the wrong things at all the right, wrong times with all the wrong people with all the wrong places, and in all the wrong places. And essentially at the end of it, they crucified him for that. Now, in the providence of God, that was working out the plan of salvation as well. Jesus went back to heaven, and what we read here in Hebrews um, is um, what I would suggest, and again, this is what many commentators would suggest, is that this is Jesus being inaugurated into the high priestly office. When Jesus ascended up into heaven into that original tabernacle, that everything on earth was a copy. It was him being inaugurated as a high priest for each one of us. He went back to the heavenly original. And we can join him by faith. That's what the Bible teaches us, that we can join him by faith as he ministers for us. Um, He was the better sacrifice, the complete sacrifice. That work was done. That's why when it talks about him being seated at the right hand of the throne, that work was complete. His sacrificial work was done. He he was the true fulfillment of all of those daily, the twice daily sacrifices that they did um, in the temple, then the the festival, all the sacrifices that they they did there, um, the annual um, sacrifices. He was the fulfillment of all of that. That phase of his ministry was done, and that's why he sat down. Well, when I think of this, the analogy here—that's why I talked about my kids. They graduated, and they're moving on to the next phase of their ministry now, the next phase of their lives. In a sense, this is what happened to Jesus. He was there; he was inaugurated as a high priest. But we know he isn't just sat down doing nothing. Now, the Bible clearly tells us that he is ministering for us. He is taking that salvation work that he's done and he's making that effective for everyone who will believe. And eventually that will include judgment. Judgment begins with the house of God, but it will. Judgment will go out to the whole world at some point. The, the, another analogy I have for this is, 
And again, I, I'm afraid it's a British analogy. It's, it's, it's what I know. I mean, if you think about kings and queens, when they get crowned, you know, you see, and again, in, in our, our, my lifetime, I've not seen that because Queen Elizabeth has been, has been around for a long time. Um, you, I remember, I think her first, the first prime minister that they have weekly audiences, apart from when they're traveling, was Winston Churchill. That was the first person that she had these weekly audiences with. Can you imagine being a new prime minister and going to meet with the queen and knowing that that person had been talking with Winston Churchill? So, but with the queen, um, I, I never got to see, I, I didn't see the coronation live. I, I've seen it in school. We got to study these things and they showed us. But with the queen, they're sitting down and the crown comes on them. And it's, you know, long live the queen, long live the queen, long live the queen. And um, to me, that's an image here. We, we read in Isaiah 6, it talks about when Isaiah is given his commission. It talks about that God is seated on his throne, high and lifted up. You get the image, and his train fills the temple, and the smoke is in the temple, which I believe is the prayers. That's what most interpreters will say, it's the prayers, and that. And then you fast forward in Isaiah to 52 into 53. And in Isaiah 52, it talks about the suffering servant on Isaiah 53. And it says right at the beginning, at the end of 52, it says, the suffering, talking about the suffering servant, that he will be high and lifted up. It uses the same phrase, exactly the same phrase that Isaiah had with the commission. And this is it. To me, this is what this is talking about. It's saying Jesus being inaugurated into this high priestly office for each one of us. So that, this is the, the next key point that I, w- I would like you to try and remember. Um, what does it mean to have a sanctuary life with Jesus at the center of all? Um, it's to join Jesus by faith as our great high priest who lives and prays for us. He meets us where we are at each day, wanting the very best for us. It's to move us forward in Christ through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, so our total dependence on God, as well as the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and also by putting us into a group of believers, that interdependency I talked about, dependency on God, relationship with God, relationship with others with Jesus as our great high priest, and we can join him by faith in that. Time is going. I'm going to skip. I'm I'm just going to say one thing about this. Um, Maybe if I ever get to speak again, I might talk about the Lord's Prayer. I think the Lord's Prayer is the embodiment of a sanctuary life between Advents. between the first advent and the second advent. It's the, the granddaddy of all the prayers. And if you look at it, there's this term called a chiastic structure. It's a theology term. It's trying to get to the center point of a scripture. And if you look at the Lord's Prayer, right in the middle of it, it's give us this day our daily bread. It's where heaven and earth meet. That's why it's there. Heaven and earth meet together at that point. And it's in the context. And that's to me, again, is what it means to have Jesus as our heavenly high priest and we can join him by faith. So the Lord's Prayer reflects that. Heaven and earth meet to meet us where we are at and help us move and grow in Christ.
I'd like to finish um, finish with a couple couple more points. Um, this guy Angelo. I met Angelo in November last year. We were we were both we went to uh, CUC Canadian Union College. It's uh, up in Edmonton, Canada. I, I went from Southern California, where it was 70 degrees. <laughs> up to Edmonton in California, uh, Edmonton, Canada, and it was absolutely freezing up there. It was unbelievable. Um, I, I was there for a course, um, a master's course I was doing, and he was there as well. Um, he was in the hotel room opposite me, and on the Sunday evening, we, were, we all met in the lobby to take the bus up to the, uh, the Canadian Union College. And we, we immediately struck it off. He's younger than me. He, he was uh, 35, 36. But we, we immediately identified with each other because we were lay people and everybody else on the course was full-time pastors. So, but we were lay people. And uh, so we talked. And I, I was really impressed with him. We went up to the college. Uh, the professor who was teaching, he, he, was, he, he taught about our Adventist history, the doctrines that we have, and Looking at that from a historical point of view, I really encourage you, if you've not done any of that, to look at that, get into the meat. There's good stuff in there. I know there's some controversial points. Don't let that ruin some of the good stuff that's in there. Um, but he, he taught with, with knowledge and enthusiasm. And uh, I was very impressed with Angelo. Uh, he was way ahead of me in terms of his um, his theological knowledge. He went back and forth with the professor and uh, made some really, really good points. I was shocked to learn that he died um, last month of bone cancer. Absolutely shocked. I was able to watch his funeral over the web um, and it was a, a very touching affair. His kids, the small kids, his small kids spoke, and uh, you know, but the, one of the things that came out of that funeral was really one of hope, hope for the future. Angelo is on my list. I mean, we, at the end of that course, when we said goodbye, we exchanged emails, we exchanged phone numbers, we did all the things you do, let's keep in touch, and we really didn't keep in touch because you go back to life and you get so busy. I, I wish I had kept more in touch with him. Um, but he's on my list. I don't know if you have a list yet, but list of people I'm going to look forward to seeing on, on that resurrection day and that whole of eternity. You know, I'm, I'm going to... There are people on my list. There are biblical characters on my list. Like Samson. I really want to see Samson. <laughs> you know, there are certain people it's like, yeah, I definitely want to... Well, I don't know if Delilah's going to be there, but I don't, you know, God knows. God, God will judge all that. But he, he's on my list. I definitely want to speak to him again. This is my final scripture for today. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. The term with is used three times 
in this scriptural passage. Three times. Now, I know when I was growing up, if my mum told me something twice, the third time was normally accompanied by a clip around the ear hole. So it really is telling us to listen. So here are my, my final points about what I, what I view as a sanctuary life with Jesus at the center of all. First of all, a sanctuary life has hope for today and has hope for the future, the not yet. And that hope is based off the bigger picture. We all go through stuff in our lives. You might be going through some tough times right now. I hope not. Maybe things are going great for you. Praise God. But if you're going through some tough times, we can still have hope based off that bigger picture that we have. And also, a sanctuary life has faith-based optimism. We of all people should be optimistic if we believe what we talk about. Faith-based optimism. It's not in the absence of trials. It's in the midst of trials of life. You just have to look at the Bible. Some more homework for you. (laughs) I know you're not going to do it, but I'm going to say it anyway. But Ruth is a small book, the book of Ruth. Go and read the book of Ruth. I mean, for those of us, and I, I put myself in the category now, who have more years behind us than in front of us, look at Naomi in the book of Ruth. I, I just love, I'd love to speak on Ruth one day. <laughs> um, but it just has raw honesty in it. Um, it says in there, do not call me Naomi, which means lovely kindness. Naomi saying, don't call me that anymore. Because she had lost her husband and she had lost her two sons. And basically, the, um, she had Ruth who, who, had, who had decided that your people will be my people, your God will be my God. She had one daughter-in-law who came with her when she went home and one daughter-in-law who basically returned to, to, to her people. But Naomi, going home, after losing her husband, losing her son, says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Don't call me that name. No, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She was totally honest with God. She she said it, she said before God, she said, that's how it feels. You've, You've dealt bitterly with me. And you know, we all can have burdens in our lives. The Bible tells us to cast our burdens on the Lord. Some of those burdens can be very big. And sometimes it takes some time to cast that burden on the Lord. That can be a process that we have to go through. If you read Ruth, you see how God took Naomi and Ruth just through a process. And at the end of the book, well, please read it. It's not a a large book, but it's a beautiful book, especially for anybody who's going through anything. I really encourage you to read it. So a sanctuary life, total dependence upon God in all things. First and foremost, having dependence on him. And I don't know how you do that without spending daily time with him. Coming here on Sabbath is not going to be enough. We need to do that daily, spend that time with him. It's acknowledging our interdependence on one another. We are not an island. We need to have that. So it's our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our relationship with ourselves. 
casting those burdens on the Lord. Some of us have to go through some healing. Maybe there are some here who maybe need some more humility. (laughs) Depends where you're at. And then finally, just our relationship with our resources as well. Really having Jesus at the center of all of those as well. Having him, making them a topic of prayer, knowing that he is our, our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. So please remember, a sanctuary life is Jesus at the center of all. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and for your kindness and for your mercy. We thank you that you want to make your home with each one of us. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to surrender our lives to you fully each day and to put you in the center of our lives. Lord, we thank you for your love, for your graciousness, for your mercy and for your peace. Lord, we just want to commit ourselves anew to you. And we pray, Lord, that you would would bring your blessings into our lives and help us to honor you in all things. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.